Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Well, we are going to um, jump into our, our message this morning. So um, if, if, you, if you are new, you can jump right in with us. You'll be all right. This will stand on its own two feet, I believe. But we are going back to a series that we started in the fall. And so we started a series called Built Together. And the idea is that while we are in the process of a building change and a remodel and all of those things, the reality is the church is the people of God. We are the church. And, and God is building us up, not only in our individual walks, but he intends for us to be connected with each other, to walk in real relationship, to work alongside one another, to worship him together. And so in the first section of this series, we talked about the importance of living in community and the power of that. What happens when we worship together as a community, when we love one another in community, when we pray for one another in community, when we discern the body, as the scripture says, we're, we're aware of each other and each other's needs. And so we minister to one another and there's real life and moved into. Um, we talked about the gifts that God gives for the building up of the church. And so we spent several weeks looking at the spiritual gifts that are listed in scripture. We've talked about gifts um, that we might put in the category of more like natural gifts and abilities or acquired skills. And so we talked about using our time and our talent to, to minister within the body, to serve. And so we had a sermon fired up and ready to go in mid-November that was gonna be on stewarding our treasure. And then we just had a prayer and worship service that kind of took over. And then a couple days later, I got sick with COVID and Pastor Jonathan preached a message on Thanksgiving and worship. And then we started our Advent series. So we are coming back to our Built Together series, talking about stewarding our treasure this morning. And you know, I've just, I've learned over the years to just trust the things that seem like interruptions that the Lord's timing is good because we knew all along we were gonna be doing this financial change in the first part of the year. And it's like, I think this message was just supposed to go right here. So we're gonna talk about our treasure and our giving and our finances this morning. And then we'll move into about another five weeks in the series. Um, and it'll be kind of our third and final section of the series. We're gonna talk about um, just some markers, some indicators of what a mature church looks like. What does it mean to walk in maturity? Not perfection, not like some finish line we have to cross, but what does it look for the church when we're, we're healthy and we're mature? What are some things that happen? Um, because for us to be who God's calling us to be, for us to tend well the new season we are stepping into as a body, the Lord, the Lord wants us to be healthy and mature, to be growing in our walk with him. But listen, he wants us to partner with him in reaching a community that needs Jesus. And so we're gonna be a big part of that. So that's where we'll be moving next week and in the weeks ahead. Does that sound good? Y'all with me? You up to speed? Feel like you're caught up a little bit? Okay. 
Well, I know we've already prayed several times this morning, um, but if we're going to talk about money at church, we probably need the Lord's help with that. I want his help in talking about it. You should be praying for me to talk about it well, um, and we should pray for him to guide us into what he has for us, right? Okay, so let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for who you are, things we've already acknowledged about you this morning. You're our king, you're our Lord. You are generous, you provide. And Jesus, I pray that we would hear your teaching on this this morning, your heart on this. Lord, that this is about more than just like tithe because you're supposed to. It's more than that. Lord, that there is a mindset, a way of living where we recognize that everything comes from your hand. It's a gift from you. And you call us to steward well under your kingship. Thank you that that's actually a gift, that it is a relief, it relieves pressure that we often carry or feel as it relates to our finances. And Lord, there is a level of of responsibility, but it's through your guidance. And so Lord, you help us to hear and understand this and to apply it in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, well, our primary passage this morning is from Luke's gospel, chapter 12. Um, I wanna talk about exchanging striving for stewardship, Striving for stewardship. It's a mindset shift as it relates to our treasures, our finances. And so we'll primarily be in Luke 12 here in the first half of the message. Um, this first half of the message is, is a, an entire way of operating and living as it relates to how we view our finances and what the Lord has entrusted into our care. The second half of the message, we'll get a little more honed in specifically on what does this look like in the context of church community. All right, so that's where we're heading. So exchanging, striving for stewarding. Luke 12, let's start in verse 13. Jesus is out and about in front of a lot of people as he often was and ministering. And someone in the crowd said to him, verse 13, teacher, tell my brother to to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then Jesus said to them. So he engages the guy individually, publicly, but individually. And then he opens it up to everyone who's there. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I want you to see a few things from this this interaction. Um, Notice what's motivated this brother. He's saying, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Like he's frustrated about something that's happening financially. He wants to get his hands on something that he doesn't currently have that he feels like is owed to him. Something is off in his finances. It's off relationally. And suddenly he's calling out to Jesus to fix it. We never do that. (laughs) Wait till we're in trouble, something's not going the way we want, and then cry out to him. You know, I think Jesus' response is, is really interesting if we pay attention to him. Notice the question Jesus asks. Who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now, you could argue that he's just sort of saying, like, don't draw me into that. But I don't actually think that's what he's saying. I think he's addressing an all too common problem in all of our lives, and that is... When I want it, 
when I have a specific objective or when something's not going well in a certain way in my life, that's when I ask God to intervene. And what Jesus is saying is, you've never once asked me to be in charge of your finances. You haven't been submitting to the Lord, to the king in the area of your finances, and now there's a problem and you want help. Now, that convicted me (laughs) as I was reading through this. How many times I wait till I'm in trouble. But see, the real issue is, will I live in such a way where he is in charge of my life, but of my finances? Or am I gonna wait till I don't like what's happening? Till I've gotten myself into some trouble and want him to bail me out of that trouble. Now, listen, I don't mean this to sound like, um, you know, you made your bed, you lie in it. We have a redeemer. We have a God who delivers us. We have a God who helps us when we are in trouble. But I'm talking about living in such a way where we ignore God's path of stewardship, where we tend the money he's given us, the resources he's given us, the homes he's given us, the relationships he's given us, where we live our lives tending those well, where they are surrendered to his kingship where I'm following God's principles in my finances. It's a way of operating. And so Jesus is saying, listen to everybody. Like he uses this opportunity to say, hey, this is a bigger issue than just this guy. He knows this is a universal problem. And so he engages everybody around and he says, be careful about covetousness. What's that about? Wanting something I don't have. Not being satisfied with what's right here. It's, it's a mentality of striving and grasping, never feeling like it's quite enough. It's not quite enough. And he says, listen, your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, we're gonna go into a story that Jesus tells immediately. And I just think it's interesting that he's gonna go from a guy who's frustrated and feeling like he doesn't have enough. And I want you to notice the circumstances of this story that he tells. Pay attention to the the person in this story. So moving into verse 16 now. Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So is this guy in dire straits? Is he struggling? No, This this is like the best case scenario. This guy is rich and getting richer. Things are going well. And so this rich man has, um, sorry, I dropped my water. There we go. The the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I've got an idea. I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's all going to somebody else. 
so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I love what Jesus does here. He doesn't just address when we're struggling, when things are hard. He goes to the best case scenario and says, the best case scenario that you can imagine for your life. Like what's the picture you have of financial security? What things would be on that list? How much money would be in the bank account? How much money would be building up for retirement? You know, there's maybe your nice Knoxville home, maybe a little something at the beach too. Like you, like you just kind of play it out in your mind. Like what's the scenario? Because that's what this guy's doing. He's, he's seeing where he is, things are going well, and he's, he's imagining how to build this out in a way that would just, ah. See, Jesus gets to the core of the issue. It's not just when things are hard in our finances. It's not just when we're striving or struggling. Even at their best, it's a mirage. The security and peace that it looks like it will provide, it's a mirage. It's the wrong thing to be aiming at and striving for. It will not satisfy. And even if it does temporarily, it will not last. And so this is an invitation to consider what really matters. This guy had one thing lacking and it was the main thing. And so what Jesus does next is he takes in the whole spectrum. You know, I don't know where you would put yourself on the spectrum. Probably most of us would say, I'm I'm not in the, um, I have plenty and I've arrived category. (laughs) I'm not over there. (laughs) But wherever we're at in the spectrum, Jesus now gives an invitation. See, this isn't just about hammering us on like, you're not handling your money well. He's inviting us into a way of living that is wonderful. And so look what he says next, verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life boy, we could just stop right there and just go home with that. He's offering us an invitation for freedom from anxiety. Do not be anxious about your life. What are all the things we worry about? What you'll eat nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. See, he even goes to like our our base needs, Like sometimes there's things we'd like to have like that vacation or this thing, but he's even going to the base needs. Like I'm just trying to put food on the table, clothes on our back, roof over our head. And and man, I'm not seeing how this is gonna come together this month. And Jesus is saying, there is a way of living where you exchange that anxious striving where the aim of your life is after this and you see me as your provider and you learn to trust me as the king, and you learn how to steward what I give, what I provide. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Like, just think about that for a minute. If, if you were to, to instead of um, logging 
some financial details. What if you were to log the amount of time you spent in anxiety over your finances? (laughs) What are the minutes, hours, days I've spent? How much has that helped you figure it out? How much peace has that brought you? Like none. Which of you can add even a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, like the richest king of Israel, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Now listen, we can get this sideways and think we're, we're being beat up for feeling anxious. And then when I get anxious, then I get anxious about the fact that I shouldn't be anxious. <laughs> it's an invitation to come to him. It's an exchange. He says, oh, you of little faith. What he's saying here is this area of your finances, this area of provision in your life, This area is a place where we can be stretched and we can grow in faith. And he addresses three things in this passage, anxiety, seeking, and worry. And all three of these words have a slightly different meaning. Anxiety is about being troubled with cares. Troubled with cares. That only happened to me about 12 times this week. (laughs) Alex probably saw two of those meltdowns. (laughs) Troubled with cares. Like anybody ever there? Okay, it's just, just me and Dave, a couple of us. Yeah, like, tr- like, man, there are just, here's the deal. It's about being troubled with cares. Like the cares are there. Am I troubled by them? Or am I trusting? It's an invitation out of anxiety. Seeking, that word seek, it actually, it means more than seek. This isn't like I'm looking for my car keys before I run out the door. This is striving for something. This is a requirement or a demand. This is like a, I have to get at this somehow, some way. Striving, it's a total lack of peace. This isn't about having healthy goals and aims that you're working towards. This is a mindset of like, I gotta get there, I gotta get there. Like that pressure and that striving and I gotta go for it. Worried. It means, it specifically means anxiously fluctuating between hope and fear. Oh, I've got a little hope. Oh, I'm terrified. That's not going to happen. Y'all, I just got to confess as your pastor, one minute, I am so blown away at where we are. Look at this, this property, this building. Look at this home that we've longed for. And then I look at all the work that has to be done, all the money that's needed to pay for it. And I go real fast from hope to fear. We're gonna get halfway into this thing. We're not gonna be able to pay for it. It's gonna all fall apart. Everybody's gonna, we're gonna look like failures. Like, I mean, I, I'm just being real with you guys. That's just some of the, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just confessing. Worried. 
fluctuating between hope and fear. Is this, is this real to anybody else this morning? Yeah. Especially today? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we live in an anxious season. Like this permeates our culture. And so what I, what I want you to hear this morning is like when the Lord is speaking, when the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on something, there, there is an aspect of conviction that's like, hey, there's something off here. But when the Holy Spirit convicts, it's not to bring guilt and shame and beat us up. He convicts because he's inviting us into something better. I mean, that's what the gospel is. It's the great exchange. Like I'm exchanging sin and guilt and shame for the gracious love of God that forgives and heals and restores. And in the same way, when I'm learning to let Jesus be king in all aspects of my life, because see, money's where it gets real. Like I can say Jesus is my Lord, bless God, smiley face, brother and sister on a Sunday morning. But then when I go home and I'm figuring out where's this money going, what's it doing? How am I acquiring it? Like right there is he king. Right there is he Lord. And he invites us to, to repent and come to him and the idea is that he's a way better king than I am. He's a way better bookkeeper. He's a way better money manager. I can live according to his rules and his kingdom and his principles. And I can exchange anxiety and striving or worry. And instead I can do this. Verses 31 and 32. Instead, seek his kingdom. Don't let that word kingdom be super mysterious to you. A kingdom is about who's in charge. If you want to know what to strive for, strive for letting him be more and more in charge of your life and watch what happens. Watch what happens. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. Don't hear that as like an insult, like, oh, little flock, pat you on the head. This is like a gentle, loving, tender thing because the good shepherd loves his sheep. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to bless us. He wants us to experience the peace and the joy that comes from letting him be in charge of it. What a relief. Like, honestly, so much of the anxiety in my own life comes from me thinking it all hinges upon me. I gotta figure this out. I gotta do this. And I don't feel adequate to the job. And Jesus' invitation is, you're right, buddy, you're not. But I am, and I've got you if you'll let me. Then he says, verse 33, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. He's, he's, he's making it real. He's getting down to the level of practical. This is a complete change of the way you do life. 
It is a part of his upside down kingdom where things just don't seem to make sense, where the king is actually the biggest servant of all. Like that's, Jesus humbled himself like a servant and died for us. The king is a servant. It's upside down. And he's saying, come into this way of life. What's, what's the idea here? The idea is that kingdom life is one of others-centered love, of generous giving, where we invest in the eternal. We invest in the eternal. So listen, just get really, getting really practical from it. For example, I'm a dad. I've got a wife. I've got kids. They need a roof over their head. They need clothes. They need food. Okay, well, if I'm just thinking about that purely in like a striving, providing sense, I'm missing it. But if I realize I have the great gift of caring for some beings that are eternal. My wife is eternal. How am I loving and serving and supporting her? How are our financial resources a blessing for her? My children, what a gift that God would entrust some children into my care. I am tending and caring for those eternal beings. So even something as practical as paying that mortgage, God, you're, you've entrusted into my care to help provide for these children. And you're the father, and so you've got me. These are your kids. My wife is your daughter. And so down to every level. So, so it's, it's viewing things from the mindset of an eternal king who eternally cares about people. And so finances, provision, those things that we have, their, their only purpose is in honoring the eternal king to bring him glory and to lovingly meet needs out in the world, out in the lives of people, at home, in our church community, in the world at large. And when we let him be king, he'll help direct us how to divvy all that up, right? Like he helps us deal with debt. He helps us deal with saving for the rainy day. He helps us deal with like the daily needs. He helps us figure out how to be generous and give. All of those things fall into place when he's king because he generously, generously provides and then he'll guide us in how to handle that properly. Is this, is this making sense? Is this resonating? So it's a big picture mindset that then trickles down into really practical ways in our lives. That's the idea. The scripture is chalked full of wisdom and how to handle our money. And even, even saying our money, I'm like, his money, right? Because it starts with that mindset. It's his. It's all his. My life is his. My wife is his. My kids are his. My possessions are his. What is or isn't in the bank account is his. I got 10 bucks in there? Cool, that's his 10 bucks. How ought we to spend it? And then he makes this one final point that hinges, the whole thing hinges on this. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is just like a foundational truth where we invest ourselves. Like that's what treasure is, right? Like the thing I'm seeking, the thing that's important to me, it holds my attention. Where my treasures, where I put my money, my heart will be there. Like there are some people that we love who are in Indonesia serving Jesus and ministering to the needy. And our church as a whole and many of us individually 
support them financially. Why are we doing that? We love them. And we believe in what they're doing. And so our money and our heart are aligned. This matters and it's important and my money is there. And because my money's going there, I'm gonna think about and pray for them and love them. Like this happens in just even a really practical, like I was thinking about this. My biggest financial investment is the home I live in. So we've put most of our, like a big chunk of our resource into that home. Well, how does that tie into our heart? Well, the people I love the most live there and we spend time there together. And we invite friends and extended family there and we, we love on and enjoy each other there. It's a, it's a gathering spot. We pay attention to its needs. <laughs> we're aware of things that are breaking and not working. Sometimes we're very aware when there's a leak in the garage a couple months ago. Like we're aware of those needs and they gotta be tended to and, and we deal with that. We dream about things we'd like to do. Hey, wouldn't it be cool to do this with the porch? Wouldn't it be neat to do this out in the little garden? Like, y'all see how that works? Like where, where we invest our hearts there. And so Jesus' invitation is invest in my kingdom. Invest in my kingship. Even see that all the things that you have, the relationships that you're tending, the possessions that you have, the money that you have, see that when you allow me to be king, that stuff is now in my kingdom. That stuff is now a part of my kingdom and how I might guide you in tending my kingdom well in those areas. One of the things that, that was so incredible talking with Pastor David really over the years, but, but then this last summer when things really got rolling was like, his heart was, we have been given the responsibility of this property at 268 South Peters. And his heart was, this is gonna stay in the kingdom of God. When the Lord's Chapel's day winds down, we're committed that this property in this building will stay in the kingdom of God. And they lived that out. That property could have been sold. It could have been given to somebody else who would have sold it. But that was a commitment that they made. And, and what a gift that we can allow God's kingdom to be extended there by letting him be in charge of it and him get the glory for what happens there and it be used for his purposes to minister to people. Is this... Is this Y'all with me? Okay, I'm going off on tangents. I was not going to. But I'm just wanting to give real examples of how this works. So I'm not gonna spend as much time in this second portion, but y'all good for another 10 or 15 minutes? Y'all with me on this? So what I wanna do now is just look very specifically at stewarding within church community, okay? So this is, this is one facet of like the entire facet is stewarding, not striving, letting him be king. But now in the specific facet of church community, what does this look like? So I wanna give us two examples. One example is gonna be very tangible as it relates uh, literally to building something. We're gonna look in the Old Testament when Israel is being established as a people and God wants them to build a tabernacle, a dwelling place where he's gonna reside and be worshiped. And it's gonna be the central point of their new community is this tabernacle of worship where his presence will reside, where he will be worshiped. Then the second example we're gonna look at is something similar, but it's very specifically just people. And it's in the New Testament when the church in Acts is born. And what's cool is over here, it's just very tangible, relational, like, like people taking care of each other. Over here, it's, it's like building a literal space 
but the same principle is true in both. And so I just, I want you to see this, this idea of where our treasure is, there our heart will be. If you wanna read through more, because I'm just gonna briefly hit some things, this full story in Exodus, you could read starting in Exodus 25 through Exodus 40. And you can thank me right now that we're not doing all of that together in this moment. I'm just giving you a little tidbit of this. But it's worth like taking it all in. So Exodus 25 through 40. And so God is establishing Israel. He's giving them a home. He's, he's moving them towards a promised land, but he's having them establish this place of worship. And he wants them to invest in it, to build it. It's gonna take their time, their talent, their treasure, all the ways he's gifted them. And so Exodus 25, I'm gonna read just verses one and two, and then I'm gonna skip down and read verses eight and nine. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart. Notice there's no obligation, there's an invitation. Whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Notice the purpose of it. Not to have a fancy cool place, the presence of God is gonna meet them there. God's saying, I will set up camp right here in your midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, you shall make it. Who is in charge of this project? God. Who was the architect and the designer? God. He's in charge. You just do it the way I'm asking you to do it. And so there's an invitation to give their treasure generous contribution toward the building of God's pattern and plan. Now, we're gonna skip down to Exodus 31, verses one through six. There's some people who are gonna come in and use their talent and their gifting to do this. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God. Guys, we so... We over-spiritualize things and we like discard things that we view as like carnal or too practical. This guy is a skilled craftsman and the Lord says, that's my spirit in him that has gifted him in this way. There are so many ways we have been called and gifted. Don't minimize the gifting of God in your life. He doesn't. I filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting stones for setting, in carving wood, to work in every craft. Behold, I've appointed with him, he's given him a right-hand man, Aholiab, the son of Akshasamach. I really worked at that this week and I'm still not sure I nailed it. Y'all would have laughed, uh, I was literally even this morning like, I think I got it. Um, of the tribe of Dan, that's a little easier. And I have given to all able men. So then there's the team, there's the whole team. I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. They've given of their treasure, they're giving of their talent, they're giving of their time, all used to build this tabernacle. They were invited to give and serve using their God-given talents and possessions. Now, I want you to watch what happens next. People give money, they put in time, they roll up their sleeves and work. So they're invested, they're invested. And watch what Jesus said is true, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. 
They're invested. And now in Exodus 36, verses two through seven, and Moses called, uh, wow, I'm blanking now. Moses called Be- Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the Sabbath. This is like the first time in history this has ever happened. <laughs> Stop giving. <laughs> so the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Isn't God so good? There was just this collective thing of like, God's doing something. He's given us something to walk out. He's blessed us in different ways with financial ability, with gifts and resources, with time to roll up our sleeves and do the work. And as we invest ourselves in his kingdom and we're enjoying his presence and we're doing it together as a community, there is more than enough. Praise God. You know what's sad? is that we don't read that and go, well, that's what his church looks like all over the place now. We view it as uncommon. Why? Because it's, because what? Because we got to buy air. Yeah, yeah, we got to buy airplanes. Well, yeah, that's a whole other (laughs) problem to be addressed. If I ever mention private jet in any form or fashion, fire me, kick me to the curb, move, go somewhere else. <laughs> None of that nonsense, right? Because it's, it's his pattern. That's the point. It's what God says is needed. But, it, but because it's when the rubber meets the road, am I letting him be king? Are we letting him be king? Are we trusting that we get to be a part of it, but he's the provider? I love that. What a picture. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And what does it do? It produced an atmosphere of generosity and there was provision for all that was needed. Now, again, I'm not preaching this message just because, hey, there's a building and there's a remodel. This This is just a way of living. Now look at the New Testament church. This is kind of in closing here. The same thing takes place at the establishment of the church in Acts I'm gonna read a passage from Acts 2 and a passage from Acts 4 because I want you to see it was just like, it's all through the book. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted, that's what they were invested in. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, right, the gathering, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles And all who believed were together and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, 
They receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The practical component of their financial resource contributed to the overall atmosphere in the body. There was a spirit of generosity. Their homes were open. Their hearts were open. They were aware of each other's needs and they were just tending one another and loving one another well. And that was so appealing that people were coming to Christ and joining the church because they saw who are these people who love each other so well and so sacrificially. That unity is so uncommon and people were drawn to it. And they just, they had this sincerity of heart. Last verse, Acts 4, 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. You know, there's often a longing when we look at the church in Acts, and there's certain things we might be drawn to. Like, wow, why don't we see the power of God and the miracles that we see when Jesus walked the earth and in the early church? Why don't we see that? Or we see this uncommon atmosphere of just, man, they loved each other. There was just this deep love and affection for one another. But then we ignore things like, you know, there were some real practical sacrificial things that contributed to all of that. You live out this radically and sacrificially a mindset that says, I'm a part of his kingdom and everything I have is his and it's for his people. So whether those are people that live under my roof or in relationship around me, we're caring for each other. There is something radical that happens when we live this way. I mean, that's a miracle of God. For a group of people to live like that and it not be manipulated, abused, taken advantage of. This wasn't about giving the pastor a mansion. It was a whole way of living in the body where they loved and cared for one another. And guess what was happening? Miraculous things. The gospel was being preached and people were being saved. Miracles were happening. This is what it looks like for Jesus to be king in our lives individually, and what it looks like for him to be king over our finances as a church. Like, I I want our church to steward our finances well. My hope is that we as members of the body, like, are living this stuff out. And there's so much joy when we invest ourselves in what's happening in God's kingdom. And see, if, if we hear his invitation and we're letting him be king, we don't have to, like, figure out how it all works or where it all goes. We can trust him. And go, Lord, would you direct where you want me to to spend this, to do that? Lord, you have provided, where does it go? So in conclusion, I'm I'm leaving a couple of bullet points in here. Um, If if you're a note taker, you wanna go back and look. But I would encourage you to, to really prayerfully consider what does this look like in my life in terms of practical application? What does this look like big picture for me to have the mindset of stewardship versus striving? Or are there any areas just in my own life or in my family's life and our finances 
where we're not inviting you to be king. Would you show us where we can make adjustments? And then within the local body, just prayerfully, okay, Lord, we talked about time and talent way back in November. We're talking about treasure this morning. Lord, what does it look like for me to take the gifts you've given me, the time that I have in my day-to-day life, the financial resources you've given to participate in the body, to invest there and watch what you might do in our midst. Like I'm grateful for this right here, but I'm excited to see what's to come. That when the body of Christ has a heart to reach people who do not know Jesus, has a heart to tend for and care for one another, man, what could take place? It's a beautiful thing and we can participate. So we good? Ought we to pray? Yeah, (laughs) I think so. Daily, right? All right, Lord, thank you for the gift of your Lordship. God, thank you for provision in our lives. Lord, I just confess the times where where I, I am aware of the lack and not what has been provided. Just acknowledge that. Lord, I acknowledge the places just even within this message, Lord, where I've, I've been in that worried phase, so easily drifting between hope and fear. Lord, my prayer for myself, for each of my friends here this morning, for our church as a whole, God, that, that we would exchange striving, anxiety, worry, aiming our lives at that which is not eternal, that we would exchange that for stewardship, that we would recognize your lordship in our lives, in our homes, in our church, that we would recognize that all that we have comes from you and that we would look to you for guidance on how to use that well to have eternal impact. God, thank you that you love us enough to be king in all areas of our lives. We choose to submit to you One last thing I wanna do is I wanna just encourage you in this moment, give him space if there's something he wants to put his finger on that needs to change. Invite him to do that. Ask for his help to do that. And let's watch what happens when we let him be in charge. Holy Spirit, reveal those things to our hearts. And then thank you by your grace that you not only convict, you empower us to go forward. You empower us to walk and live differently. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.